Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with with tax tax benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And to take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax so obviously. This is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your accountant. In each episode, we'll share our own personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. The lawyers made you say that, huh, Lauren? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk, tell your CPA you'll call them back later, and let's talk tax, friends. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. I'm Daniel Thrall, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Lauren Thomas. Hi, Lauren. Great to see you. Hi, Daniel. Always a pleasure. What is the topic of conversation today? Today, we're talking about the dreaded and feared tax audit. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. We'll hear from comedian and actor Ed Reggie from St. Louis. Ed gave a TED Talk about his past tax audit and the character he impersonated to get through the experience. Then tax expert Matt Fields will join us to delve into the tax realities of getting audited. Well, I'm not a fan of audits, but I am a fan of improv, and I'm excited to welcome Ed to the podcast today. Welcome, Ed. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Ed, come clean with us here. What was it like when you found out you were getting audited by the IRS? Was it scary, anxiety-provoking, fun? What was going through your mind? Well, fun was definitely not. You know, I and and I must say, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with this, but I have that service that the post office does where you could see your mail before it comes. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I look at it every day. You do. Okay. So it's like a little photo. And, you know, that sort of got my heart racing already that I saw that, you know, internal revenue service and that. And so that got me racing. And then to actually physically get it in the mail and open it up and have that that language saying clearly that I'm I'm being audited. Scary, to say the least. Ed, take me back to that moment when you're looking at what's coming in the mail. You have this pit in your stomach and, you know, it arrives and it's an audit. Why did you feel so anxious or scared or, you know, whatever those emotions were? What was your impression of what an audit was going to do and why it was so terrifying? I think mainly because prior to that moment, I had no family member that had been audited or anything like that. But there was for sure... And I know I say this in my TED talk. I I mean, I thought of Al Capone, you know, doing all the worst things he has ever done in his life, you know, like the history, but he, you know, they got him for like tax fraud, you know, and it just went in my head. Like, it's like, what, what, you know, and um, it was just fear. So uh, that was stressful. What was it that triggered the audit? I mean, I was an actor for many, you know, since I had graduated undergraduate and I had been used to being an actor. But I never was used to being someone that actually hired other actors for actually, you know, performances. So I became sort of an owner of this ensemble that was doing tours and doing, I mean, we were traveling and doing a lot of corporate entertainment. So I had a high income that was, uh, you know, on my 1099s, but had high deductions on those. Of course I did, because I had sometimes uh, not just actors, but, you know, technicians and all that stuff that goes with a performance. So that was the trigger. That uh, that caused it. 
So you went from being a performer individually to running a much bigger operation. It isn't that you did anything wrong per se, it was that you did a lot of things right and were able to increase your income and deductions so dramatically, it kind of sent a flag to the IRS that, hey, something in this person's taxes is very different year over year. Let's just look into it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it made sense. You know, again, hindsight is everything, you know, but uh, I just thought, did I get everything right? Do I have everything too? I mean, the idea of keeping receipts and keeping everything, you know, did do I have it all? You know, I mean, I, you know, it's in boxes, but it, it you know, what what's that going to mean? Do I just deliver the boxes? Do I show up? You know, and so it was, it was just racing in my head. So, you know, I thought I should just hire someone. But then I I don't even know what that looks like. You know, I, I I literally laugh because at the time I'm like, I don't even know who to hire. Is it a lawyer? Is it a hmm. tax lawyer? Is it, you know, that the, the concept of that still was sketchy in my head. So I, I just asked a lot of people, a lot of uh, friends and family members, their opinions. And they just kept saying the same thing over and over, like, don't go in there alone, hire a professional. So- what did you decide to do? Did you end up getting help or navigating it by yourself? Because of who I am, and I think they were saying this to me, you know, because of the work I do, and at the time I was doing a lot more stand-up comedy, I just kind of felt like the best way to comfort myself was to play a character. And so I had to sort of think about that, and I kind of reverse-engineered what would make the easiest way for me to manage my own fears and at the same time, what would make uh, the meeting that I go to the quickest and the most efficient? And they would like, you know, just move me on. So I thought, what character would that be? So I began my research in figuring out what that would look like. So to be clear, right, you went in there as Ed Reggie with your real social and your real numbers, but like some people will put on a suit or dress a certain way to feel a certain way. You put on an entire persona as armor for this meeting. 100%. Correct. That's what I did. So here's a question. It sounds like you had your method acting approach to preparing I, for I the did. audit. I did. How did you prepare in terms of documents or other information you had to bring? Yeah. Yeah. So so in that process of literally researching all this kind of persona, I opened up every, you know, I, I will say I was probably, I'm far better now, but at the time I would sort of have boxes for months you know, I was sort of like January through December. My, my approach was like, I tracked it, you know, on a, like a spreadsheet. And then I would just put stuff in the box, you know, January through. And I always kind of went back to the box, you know, kind of like to kind of, you know, if I needed to bring something out, like a receipt to whatever, something would, I mean, in life, like warranties or I was like, oh, I haven't. So, but I had this, these 12 boxes, you know, with me. So I, had to go into those boxes and literally like now, like even though I had the spreadsheet, but now put them into like weeks and months, like, you know, kind of really sort them out that the week of, first week of January, second week of January, you know, really. And that took time. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this on my own. And and it was just sort of like um, a massive uh project, you know, undertaking to kind of put it all sorted in sort of these, those accordion, those standard accordion folders, you know, like you just kind of keep, and just to be prepared and come in there with uh, like big giant banker boxes with everything. So you did it yourself? I did it myself. Good yeah. For you, Ed. I did. 
And it, what it did was it also allowed me, I must say, allowed me to like really dive deep and have some receipt information. Like, like I know I had the information, but I didn't have the physical paper anymore. For some reason, it was not matching or just whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't even the wrong, it just wasn't there. And as much as I tried to kind of get proof, you know, like for me before the, before the audit, what I learned when I got to the audit, I, I could show a, a charge card receipt. Like I thought in my mind, if I don't have the actual receipt from that small town in Georgia where I did this show and I stayed overnight, this is it. This is why they're going to lock me up. I and mean, this is what my mind was thinking. And it turns out they were like, that uh, statement is fine. You know, so I went to, I went through a series of days because, you know, they, you can't get through everything and they're very efficient and, and they want to be, you know, uh, orderly. And so, you know, I, I went through, I think it was in all on the end, like the third day was like just 15 minutes, but the first two was, you know, maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes of just going through the year. I mean, it literally was as boring as this, <laughs> as, as me, like, it was like, uh, I don't know, like, a some kind of board game, like, you know, like, like March 13th to do that. I mean, for me, it was like just seeking my data and giving it to them, like my proof, you know, my evidence and then explaining things, you know, that was the other part too. It's like, so, you know, what was that for? You know, and I would just tell them and they were like, got it. So it sounds like the experience was a lot less scary going through it than you had imagined it to be and prepared for it to be in your mind, right? 100%. One thousand percent. And I think that was the takeaway for me after I had worked myself up to kind of like, what would I do to survive this? But I do, I do still think that I, because I took that time to kind of overthink it for me, at least for me, it worked like to really be strategic and, and be like fully aware of what's going to happen, that it helped me. Yeah. I think about, you know, the times when you, for example, over prepare for an interview, then the interview's not that bad. It's better than under preparing, you know. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Looking back, what advice would you give others who have gotten to notice that they're being audited? Well, for sure, going to whatever system you have, for me with spreadsheets and things like the box system, I just went to what I have and organized everything. And for me, it was that was, you know, the kind of the biggest thing that I think helped me back looking back was like just to know that I I have something. I do have something. I have access to something and start there. Just kind of, you know, for me, it was just start, starting someplace. So it sounds like if you did not do record keeping ahead of time, then that would have been daunting for you. Yes. Because if you do get audited, you can't prepare for it if you don't have anything to show them. Correct. I mean, there is some, I, I will say the caveat, there was some things that I was had access to, like through my my bank statements. So you can go in to download them, even a year old. It was amazing how much. Or I even went to my branch at the time, and they were like, "Oh, we'll give you any copy of anything you." Yeah, we've got that, and they were so helpful. Like even thinking about the character, as ridiculous as it was, you know. But it was a way I kind of approached things at the time because I was so stressed. It it what it did was it gave me something to do. I think that's uh, if I didn't do that, I probably would have you know, had to hire someone last minute. I probably would just let it go and then been like, okay, here, I'm going to hire someone. And, uh, you know, maybe a choice for many people, but for me, it, it just wasn't. There's a couple of really good takeaways here. I think one is advice we often give people who are self-employed, which is keep good records, right? Making sure you're keeping track of expenses and documenting it. 
And the second one is that even if you happen to lose that one receipt, as long as there's some kind of paper trail of it, and for a lot of us, if you're paying with the credit card, there's a date, an amount, a location you spent it, typically with your bank that or a credit card company that is still usable as documentation, right? Absolutely. That was a huge takeaway for me. Like even after the audit, the going forward of like, uh, not that I want to lean on that as an excuse, but now I'm like, I feel good when I have a receipt, but I even feel great. It's like, I have something that is so, you know, separated from everything else. So there's no question. Do you do your taxes differently or think about them differently after you've gone through this experience? Yes, 100%. Because it just made me realize that it, it's just really about being as organized as I can be. And so now I actually use more software, more mobile apps, more things that are like, just, I want it to be easy. You know, software is, is, is like my friend. Ed, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Ed. And now I am so excited to talk to our tax expert, Matt Fields. Matt is an Ohio-based tax expert and a former soccer college athlete who has 18 years of experience in tax preparation. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Matt, I'm fired up to talk with you today because when I think of the tax industry audit, which we're talking about today, it's kind of like the horror movie version of tax. You know, there's like romances or when you know taxes go right on through, and then there's horror movies when you get when you get audited and the IRS is asking for more info. Everybody's terrified of them. Um, but what I want to ask you about is, what is the actual likelihood that a person is going to get audited? I know this differs by income brackets, but can you break down the likelihood of this horror movie outcome of being audited? And if you could break it down by income bracket, so people who are listening can think, oh, I make this much, and here's, here's what my likelihood is. So we only have estimates from the IRS data that we can, that we can glean out. Um, but in general... Uh, your chances are less than one in a hundred of being audited. So, and the, your chances go up based on your return and the situations that you have inside of your taxes. So if you're self-employed or if you have rental properties or if you have high income, whenever the IRS looks at your return through a computer grid and sees an opportunity to maybe gather in some more tax revenue, your chances of being audited go up. So it's no surprise that the higher the income bracket that you're in, the more likely it is that you are audited or the higher level of tax credits that you have, the more likely it is that you're audited. But audited is kind of a broad term. So I think we should probably break it down into the types of audits because just as you alluded to, there are different types of movies, right? There's the romance movies and there's the horror movies. There's definitely different types of audits and they can feel very differently and be experienced very differently by the people going through them. So we should probably talk about that. I think that's a great point, Matt. I think audit is like the tax season horror, but a lot of people don't really know the plot <laughs> to the, the audit genre. So can you break down for us, what is an audit? What are the different types? What does that really mean for taxpayers? So almost all audits have an origin story, right? They have a backstory to every single audit. And the backstory to every single audit usually comes in the form of a letter 
So one thing we have to differentiate is whenever we talk about audits, you have horror stories and sort of urban myths that come about um, by people that are often being victimized by fraudsters. The IRS never gives you a call to say, we're showing up today. If you don't have $10,000, we're going to close down your business or we're going to do these crazy things. That is always at the end of a very, very long process that you know about every step of the way. So if you're getting that type of call, this sounds like fraud. If the IRS is saying, meet me in a public place and bring gift cards to pay us off, that's not the IRS. I've had tax clients who were in the middle of an audit get that type of tax call and think that this was actually a part of the resolution and start to entertain that type of phone call simply because they were already in the process of being audited for something else and think, well, maybe this is how they're going to expedite my case. So, so it's not just people who are terrified of the IRS, which is a majority of the population, I think. It's also people that are in a legitimate dispute with the IRS that can be taken in by these these tax fraudsters. That's a great point. So if the IRS is knocking on your door, calling out of the blue, or trying to slide into your DMs, it's maybe fraud. <laughs> you should double check that before taking any further action, right? That's absolutely right. And it's actually very difficult to get the IRS to respond to you, even when you're in the middle of a trying to resolve a dispute you have with the IRS. So they're not out proactively making phone calls. If they're making phone calls, it's at the end of a process that you already know that there's a debt that has to be collected. And honestly, most of the times they just cover their own debts through either you paying them or they collect it from your future tax refunds. So if you do get a letter in the mail and it is legitimately from the IRS, what are the different types of audits that one might be experiencing? The most common, right, if, if we put it back into the, the genres of movies, is an IRS romance from the 1930s, right? Those were correspondence-based. So it's, it's the love letters that you get from the IRS. And for the most part, they're asking for additional information or to correct something that they see from their end as a mistake on your return. So let me give you an example. You fill out your taxes in early February and... Then a week later, an extra W-2 shows up from a job you worked at a few weeks. And you don't do anything with it. And a few months later, the IRS sends you a love letter, right? They're opening salvo in this romance of correspondence that you have with them. And they say, listen, we noticed that we got an extra W-2 because they also get all the information from all of your employers, from your brokerage accounts, from the custodians that hold like stocks and bonds. They get all of that information as well. And they put together kind of a, a pro forma or an as-if return. And so they compare that to what you actually submitted. And if there's a deficit, a shortfall, you missed something, they may send out an auto-correction letter that says, hey, you owe us a little bit of extra money um, because we noticed that you missed a W-2. This tends to be a one-way street. They don't tend to send you a notice that says, hey, we noticed that we missed some information on your return. Here's some extra money that we owe you. That doesn't happen very often. Um, but if you miss something and it's to the IRS's advantage, you can expect that letter in the mail after a few months if you don't respond to it proactively. So this is over 75% of people will never have an IRS agent sitting across a desk from them or visiting them at their house or their place of business. They will have correspondence through the mail. And if you respond to it um, with the appropriate information, for the most part, these things will resolve, okay? As in you can get to the point where the IRS agrees with your perspective or you agree with the IRS's perspective, 
maybe you just say, mea culpa, I'm at fault. I did miss that W-2 and your calculations are correct. And I just agree to pay the difference and we sort of move on. Case is closed. There's no further penalties. And we all move on once I've paid the difference. So Matt, you mentioned that's about 75% of audits. What other kind of audits are there? So we have two other types of audits. The field audit is where somebody will come out to your home or to your business with a specific list of, of inquiries and say, I would like to examine all of your business receipts. Or if you have a rental property, show me all the receipts you have from the money you spent on your rental property. Um, So these are more intensive and the field audit is probably one of the scarier audits that you have. It's really kind of important to understand that when you have an IRS agent coming into your space, they are looking at the documents that they present to you, but they're also looking around right they're not they're not blind so if you if they walk into a, a palatial house with pictures all over the walls of your exotic foreign trips and you're working as a minimum wage job they want to know how did you afford these things how did how does your lifestyle correspond to what we see as your level of income based on your tax returns for the last few years and then you mentioned there's another kind of audit as well one is called an office audit, and this is where you are called into the local IRS office to bring in information um, and to sit down with a revenue agent, that's what they're called, to talk about specifics of your tax return that they're calling into question, to bring receipts, um, to bring any documentation you have to justify what you put on your tax return. So these types of audits, like I said, they're not incredibly common. You are going to them with the information to resolve whatever confusion they have on their end. So you've walked us through the different types of audits. Why do you think so many people get so anxious about being audited? What are the potential consequences of an audit? What the IRS predominantly does, except for in the cases of true tax fraud, is they level civil penalties. So they put penalties and interest um, and compliance-related civil penalties, which are money. So they're basically, you messed up on your taxes, you did so in a way that was cavalier or disregarded what you knew to be true, or even were just late. So I've just, I just forgot this thing. So they'll charge you simple interest or a penalty for underpayment or a penalty for, for not filing your return at all. These are the kind of the most common penalties that people pay, but they're all monetary penalties. Okay. You're not going to go to jail for not filing a tax return unless you've got true tax fraud um, as the reason behind it. Matt, how does the IRS determine who to audit? For the most part, the way the IRS figures out who to send letters to is they run your tax return and the information from your tax return through a computer program that looks for outliers. Okay. So let me give you an example. If I'm a person and I make $100,000 a year and I submit my taxes and I have $60,000 of charitable contributions that I gave. That's an outlier. And when the IRS runs that tax return through their program, it's going to create a yellow or red flag. And so you're much more likely to get a letter from the IRS if when they run your tax return and the information on it through their system, through this diff system that basically points out to the IRS like, hey, this this looks a little strange. This looks a little bit funny. A lot of letters are coming in response to what the IRS sees as outliers in terms of percentage. If you can't prove your case, then they make money back and that's why they're sending you the letter 
to begin with. Matt, whenever I ride in ride shares, I'm real chatty with the driver and I say, hey, my friend, give me the craziest, most exciting, odd passenger story. And I'm going to do the same thing for you regarding audits. What is the most interesting or exciting audit story? And that is not an oxymoron because I know you've got an exciting audit story in your back pocket. What's the most exciting or interesting audit story that you've helped somebody navigate or that you happen to have faced yourself? So one of my clients was the victim of the Ponzi scheme and they had invested into this real estate investing scheme that turned out to be completely fraudulent. And one of the things that happened in the middle of that Ponzi scheme was this company sent them fraudulent tax documents that said, this is a 1099 for interest, um, a massive amount of interest income. And so when they received it, it was a completely fraudulent document. And so now you're arguing with the IRS that this document not only is incorrect, but that the source of this of these funds, well, they never received the funds. They were actually at a complete loss with all of the money that they invested. And now they're being asked to pay taxes on income that they never received. And it's still kind of a horror movie, to tell you the truth. Sounds like it. Matt, you mentioned that the IRS will only proactively reach out if you owe them money. But I know in some cases, you might be looking at your own documentation and realizing you forgot to take a deduction or a credit. And in some cases, you may be able to go back to them and say, hey, give me my coins. So what do you do if you realize that you missed a deduction or a credit or document that could end up getting you money back from the IRS? I love this question. Good question. Yes. So on the proactive side, when you feel like you should have been entitled to something um, that you didn't receive. So let me give you some concrete examples. A lot of people benefited greatly from the stimulus payments in 2020 and 2021. Um, but some people didn't receive them for whatever reason. The IRS just didn't have their contact information. Um, they didn't have their direct deposit information. So they never received them. And sometimes they didn't even need to file a return because they were under the income threshold. So for those people, they can go back and submit an original return and claim what they have missed. But for those people that say, wait a minute, I didn't receive the stimulus money. I was entitled to it. The IRS gave us a provision on the taxes in 2020 and 2021 to be able to claim missed stimulus payments, but I just forgot to put it on there. What, are, what can I do now? Well, I can actually go back and amend my return and claim the stimulus money that I should have been entitled to, send an amended return into the IRS, they'll process it, and eventually you'll not only receive the additional tax money that you were due, but interest on the taxes. So um, I just had a client that had a massive tax amended return and actually got almost $20,000 of interest from the IRS from all these back tax amounts that they were owed. So sometimes it's uh, very beneficial to find these old amounts that you're owed um, from things you missed on your taxes. Well, I've learned so much today about the wonderful world of tax audits. Thank you so much for coming on and telling it to us from the expert side. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you so much to Ed Reggie and his alter ego for joining us today to share his story about his experience being audited and what he learned along the way. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of Season 2, Friends with Tax Benefits. See you next time, Daniel. Bye, everyone. Bye, Lauren. 
Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast presented by TurboTax Studios and made in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall. And I'm Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizieri is our producer, Emily Krumberger is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Concepts Development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found.